I'm Deidre. I'm Dina. Welcome to Ozark's Paints and Hooch. This ain't no fancy academic. Check your references. Kind of deal. This is three sisters from the Ozarks. Sipping and spewing. About paint, hooch, and history. Hi, everybody. So we are back. Oh, Dawn, say hello. Hello. All right. There you go. We're back <laughs> with season three, episode number two. Uh, Dawn's got the big story. I've got a little story, and I've got the drink, which, by the way, already is better than last week's drink, but we'll I'll get to say. that in a minute. all right so let's do a little bit of housekeeping before we get started and always we are on all the social media you can find us on facebook you can find us on instagram we have a website called ozarkshanksandhooch.weebly.com we have our patreon now so if you want a shout out or if you want a little surprise go over and uh visit our patreon and see what that's all about when you do, yeah, wee When you do uh, go and give us a listen, make sure that you're subscribing to us and that you're giving us all the stars. I think there's only five, but if you want to give us six and they'll let you, just go ahead and do that. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. We release on the 1st and the 15th of each month. And I think that, oh, our tech disclaimer. Mm. Um, so we are in two different states. We've got two different internets. Dawn has a cat that will hurl himself at her when he's hungry. I have a dog mm-hmm. that barks just whenever he wants to. Um, if the neighbors are, you know, at their house, that makes him mad. Um, <laughs> I have kids. I have a husband that likes to mow and um, weed eat, though he's not here right now. So we're all good. Um, but just take that into consideration. I'm kind of off in the boonies a little bit and my internet sometimes makes me sound like a robot so I apologize ahead of time there's absolutely nothing I can do about it right now so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, go into our drink and it is called the judge junior and you'll know why in a little bit yes so Mm-hmm. So you're gonna take all of this that I'm getting ready to tell you about and you're gonna put it in an iced cocktail shaker so you want three quarters of an ounce of gin three quarters of an ounce of light rum a half ounce of fresh lemon juice and a half ounce of grenadine so you shake that all together and then you serve in any type of cocktail glass I'm gonna be honest and I doubled it because when I just made the one it wasn't very big well that's because it's all liquor (laughs) And it is, it is super strong, but I'm telling you, it's still better than last week. So if Dina, if you hear something hit the floor during the second half of the program, it's Dina. It might be me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to sit back and um, enjoy my lovely dinner of um, chicken strips and cheese tots from Sonic with my um, pretty cocktail that I made. And listen to Dawn's big story. I'll try not to chomp in the uh, microphone. Oh, thanks. Well, I just had to walk back to the door because Elvis was howling and I couldn't stand Mm. it. So I shut him outside. So there you go. 
All righty. Well, I am doing a very, this is really pretty history heavy, but I found it really interesting. Um, originally, I looked up Ozark Outlaws and I found this guy who's not even an outlaw, but I'm going to do the big story on Judge Isaac Parker, known as the Hanging Judge from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Um, all right. I found, yeah. I, I found all my information on uh, executedtoday.com. <laughs> How's that for a, a website? Find a grave. I know. Findagrave.com and American Cowboy Chronicles. And I, I didn't take much from that one because that guy, I don't know what he was doing before he wrote the, what he wrote. But anyway. Judge Isaac Parker is often called the hanging judge. He ruled over the lawless land of Indian Territory in the late 1800s. In 1875, Indian Territory, which is now Oklahoma, besides Indians, was populated by cattle and horse thieves, whiskey peddlers, and bandits who sought refuge in the untamed territory that was free of a white man's court. The only court with jurisdiction over Indian Territory was the U.S. Court for the Western District of Arkansas, located in Fort Smith, which was situated on the border of Western Arkansas and Indian Territory. But as we go through this story, um, I'm not so sure that hanging judge, that label was really justified. Um, some of the information you read said he's a horrible person but let me get through his history and then we'll kind of see for ourselves so um he was born the youngest son of joseph joseph parker and jane shannon on october 15 1838 and was raised on the family farm near barnesville ohio he was well educated attending primary school and then the Barnesville Classical Institute, which was a private school. After he graduated, he actually taught school in a county primary school to pay for his secondary education, because back in that day, you only went to sixth grade, really. Um, and believe it or not, at the young age of 17, he started an apprenticeship in law and then passed the Ohio bar exam in 1859 at the age of 21. Wow. So, yeah, smart. Um, mm -hmm. he, so, but that's all in Ohio, right? So he moves to St. Joseph, Missouri between 1859 and 1861 to work at his mother's brother's law firm called Shannon and Branch. While there, he met and married Mary O'Toole and had two sons, Charles and James. So by 1862, Parker had his own law firm and was also working in the county courts. He um, finagled a legal career uh, or he finagled his legal career in Missouri into a congressional seat but the fall of the Arkansas Republican Party's fortunes late in Reconstruction swept him out of office in 1874. But that was not a problem because his friend was President Ulysses S. Grant, and he appointed Parker to a federal judgeship in neighboring Arkansas. And it's wow. upon that renowned tenure that the man's reputation um, hangs. <laughs> 
get it. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Parker arrives at Fort Smith on May 4th, 1875. He was the youngest federal judge in the West. And um, the his jurisdiction included Oklahoma. And um, that land, as we know, was the final destination for the Trail of Tears, which for those of you that don't know, um, is where the, the natives in North Carolina and Georgia were forced out of their home and across um, rough territory and landed around Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Um, but by post-Civil War years, the frontier was sweeping past Indian territory um, by train. So um, as long as Indian territory remained, it was mostly protected from white settlement um, it remained a sparsely populated refuge for outlaws because the Indian, the natives have their own courts and legal system um, per treaty. And so a lot of white outlaws hid out in Indian territory. Yes. Okay. So pandemonium in the territory was only exacerbated by the Fort Smith court's reputation for corruption and inefficiency. The office was open for Parker's appointment because his predecessor had resigned to avoid impeachment. So he basically came in to clean up the place. Um, Parker was confirmed by the United States Senate on March 19th, 1875 and received his commission the same day. So Parker's first session as district judge uh, included court prosecutor W.H.H. H. Clayton. Clayton served as the United States attorney for the Western District of Arkansas for 14 of Parker's 21 years on the court. So that established a long uh, relationship. Um, Parker also commissioned Bass Reeves as a deputy U.S. Marshal, and this is kind of cool. Reeves was one of the first African-American lawmen west of the Mississippi. So that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, you know, that he is the first one to appoint an African-American lawman. So, but yeah. now we get to all the hangings. Um, so Parker tried 18 men during his first session of court, all of whom were charged with murder. 15 were convicted in jury trials. Parker sentenced eight of them to a mandatory death penalty. Now this was a death penalty imposed by the courts, not necessarily him. And he ordered six of the men to be executed at the same time on September 3rd, 1875. So they were going to be hung all at the same time. So, um, okay. what? I said, oh. okay. Oh, I thought you asked, we're going to ask me a question. Anyway, nope. one who Parker death sentenced, for example, a murderer, Daniel Evans, had murdered a man for his boots. So these were not nice people. <laughs> And the, the other six were the debut crop for the mass occupancy gallows that Parker ordered constructed at Fort Smith. Its capacity was a full dozen. So he could hang 12 people at wow. a time. Yeah, so 
the picture that mom drew is of the reconstructed gallows, which are not 12 people. Um, Fort Smith reconstructed those. Um, but I think I do have a picture of a drawing of the gallows because nobody ever took a picture of the real thing. So, um, so the people that were hung that day were six unconnected murderers committing various crimes for various motives and aptly embodying the region's ethnic diversities. This is interesting. So the boot thief, or I mean the boot murderer, um, Evans was white, James Moore was white, Samuel F-O-O-Y, not Fooey, it can't be, Foy, Fooey, I don't know, was don't a quarter know. Cherokee, <laughs> a guy named Smoker Mankiller, wonder what he was, oh. full Cherokee, Edmund Campbell was black, and John Whittington was white, so in the territories, he had all of the, all of the ethnicities covered. Yeah. He was and not so, discriminating. No, no. And so back then people watched it, you know. I mean, that mm -hmm. was kind of the thing to do, right? Yeah. So supposedly, reportedly, 5,000 or more were on hand in Fort Smith at this date, plus a national media audience. In an interview with the St. Louis Republic on September 1st, 1896. Parker said that he had no say in whether a convict was to be hanged due to the compulsory death sentences and that he favored the abolition of capital punishment. So that's kind of another point that we need to bring up. He really didn't like um, sentencing people to death, but he sure did it. So we can talk more about that here in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, in those cases, he quickly established himself a reputation for severity. Uh, he said later in life, I never hanged a man. The law hanged him. I was only its instrument. <laughs> mm -hmm. To the tune of 79 lifelong hangings. So, you know, I mean, way to blame not yourself, I guess. Yeah. Um, to sleep at night. Way to sleep at night. Way to be able to look at yourself in the mirror, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, so Parker's court had final jurisdiction over federal crimes in the Indian Territory from 1875 until 1889, as there was no court available for appeals. The five civilized tribes and other Native American tribes in Oklahoma or Indian Territory had jurisdiction over their own citizens through their tribal legal systems and governments. Federal law in Indian territory applied to non-Indian United States citizens. So that's just saying the Indians had their own form of government that, and they dealt with their own crimes. And why, according to federal law, why non-Indians couldn't be tried in federal court. So Smoker Mankiller, who was a Cherokee, that kind of makes me wonder how he was hung on that first day. How he ended you know, up there, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know, I couldn't find, I couldn't find anything. I don't know. Um, according to Congress, the federal court for the Western District of Arkansas was to meet in four separate terms each year. 
February, May, August, and November. But the court had such a large caseload that the four terms ran together. So in other words, there was no breaks. And oh. Parker's court sat for six days a week, sometimes up to 10 hours a day to ensure prosecuting as many cases as possible. So that's a lot. And so you also got to think about how many outlaws ran to that territory because they knew they could get away with it, you know, or they thought they yeah. could. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, in 1883, Congress reduced the jurisdiction of the court reassigning parts of the Indian Territory to federal courts in Texas and Kansas um, to take off some of the load on him. However, the increasing number of Euro European American settlers moving into Indian Territory still increased the court's workload. So, May 1st, 1889, Congress made changes to allow the capital convictions no start over okay. from may 1st 1889 congress made changes to allow appeals of capital convictions to the united states supreme court 44 cases in which parker imposed the death penalty were appealed it overturned and re and ordered a retrial for 30 of them so that's you know says something <laughs> Um, but I mean, if there's no appeals and you're having to get through all of these freaking awful people, I mean, I, not that I'm making excuses for him, but I can kind of see it. Um, while serving as a district judge in Fort Smith, Parker also served on the Fort Smith School Board. He was the first president of St. John's Hospital, established by the local St. John's Episcopal Church. This hospital is now known as the Sparks Health System there in Fort Smith. On his time on the court, Parker presided over a number of high profile cases, including the trial of Crawford Goldsby, known as Cherokee Bill, and the Oklahoma Boomer case involving David L. Payne, a non-Indian who illegally settled on lands in the Indian Territory. In 1895, Parker heard two cases involving Goldsby, Cherokee Bill. In the first, Goldsby was charged with killing a bystander during a general store robbery in 1894. He was convicted in a case that lasted, now this case lasted from February 26th to June 25th, 1895. And finally, wow. Parker sentenced him to death. So while awaiting execution, Goldsby attempted to escape prison and killed a prison guard. So he was tried again and convicted in Parker's court. And finally, the judge sentenced, sentenced him to death on December 2nd, 1895. And he was hanged on March 17th, 1896. So that just goes to show you that the law system worked as slow as it does now, right? At almost yeah, you know, yeah. months. Okay. He served in this position until his death in office on November 17, 1896. Keeping with continued settlement in the West, the Courts Act of 1889 established a federal court system in the Indian Territory. This de decreased the span of jurisdiction of the Western District Court at Fort Smith. 
Parker clashed with the Supreme Court on a number of occasions. In around two thirds of the cases appealed to Supreme Court from his court, his rulings were upheld. In 1894, Parker gained national attention in a dispute with the Supreme Court over the case of Lafayette Hudson. Hudson was convicted of assault with intent to kill and sentenced to four years in prison. He appealed to the Supreme Court and was granted bail. But Parker refused to release Hudson on the ground that statute law did not provide the Supreme Court with the authority to demand Hudson's release. So I guess that shows that he fought for what he thought, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in 1895, Congress passed a courts act that removed the remaining Indian territory jurisdiction of the Western District, effective September 1st, 1896. When the August 1896 term began, Parker was at home suffering from Bright's disease. I don't really know what that is. And too ill to preside over the court. Do you? Well, we'll talk about that maybe in my story. Okay. Okay. Reporter, reporters wanted to interview Parker about his career, but had to talk to him at his bedside. Parker died on November 17th, 1896 of a number of health conditions, including heart degeneration and Bright's disease. His funeral in Fort Smith had the highest number of attendees ever. And he is buried at the Fort Smith National Cemetery. And I'll put a picture of his grave up on the website. Um, in the 21 years on the federal bench. Now, okay. So they called him the hanging judge. We've heard, you know, he puts people to death, even though he really doesn't want to. But these numbers um, shed a real light on how much of a hanging judge he was. So in 21 years on the federal bench, Parker tried 13,490 cases. That's a lot. Wow. That's a lot. More than 8,500 defendants either pled guilty or were convicted at trial. He sentenced only 160 people to death and only 79 were actually executed. The others either died while incarcerated or were acquitted, pardoned, pardoned or had their sentences commuted. Um, so, I mean, 79 out of 13 and a half thousand. Yeah. You, you could even say 160 out of a 13 and a half thousand. That was not a, you know, a, a real not record. a huge number. Yeah. No. Mm -mm. So in 2000, uh, no, in 2019, yeah, that'd be 2019. Uh -huh, you're <laughs> right. It's that drink <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> the city of Fort Smith unveiled a statue of Parker representing law and order. So Parker is undoubtedly a more layered figure than his hanging judge reputation would suggest. And even his life's project to bring his unruly jurisdiction to heal was more complicated than him just being horrible, you know? Mm -hmm. Parker was notorious for his prosecution-friendly courtrooms. He wrote late in life that not one of those, uh, let's see, not one of those he suffered to long prison terms for violent crimes, no matter how depraved, had entirely lost that better part of human nature. 
this is him speaking, the object of punishment is to revive that in some cases almost extinct spark to lift the man up, to stamp out his bad nature and wicked disposition that his better and God-given traits may assert themselves. So, you know, he really thought men could redeem themselves. Okay, I'm almost done. But this here's this is really interesting. Among the numerous reference points of his life, the most famous for us would be that the novel True Grit and the 1969 and 2010 films based on it used Judge Parker's Fort Smith as the heroine's point of embarking. She leaves from there with her dangerous journey carrying her into the untamed Indian territory on his doorstep. So just a little, so that's Isaac Parker, but I also found this really interesting thing. Isaac Parker worked a long time with a hangman named George Maladon, M-A-L-E-D-O-N. Um, that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. I don't know. Right. He was Sounds named good. for, okay, good. He was named Fort Smith's official hangman just a couple of years before Isaac Parker's appointment would enforce the hanging judge's sentences into the 1890s. The year after the veteran hangman retired and opened a grocery store, his daughter was murdered. Friend Judge Parker, still on the bench at the time, condemned the killer to die in a case that some say may have warranted a recusal by present day standards. Unfortunately, a successful appeal set Maladin's daughter's killer free. Oh no. Yeah, so that kind of destroyed him. So, but but he later, this Maladin guy, took his profession on the road as a traveling act. And there, under the billing of the Prince of the Hangman, Maladin lectured and exhibited old hanging ropes and pictures of the outlaws they had killed. Evidently, people of all classes flocked to the showgrounds, crowded around the lecturer and filled the tent, viewing the gruesome relics and listening to the old hangman's recital of soul-stirring events as he pointed out the instruments of his vocation. I so would have gone that, to that. What? Totally. I would have gone yeah, to that. no kidding. I, I, really. I would much rather gone to that to an actual hanging. I would have rather heard him talk about it than watch it happen. I would actually yeah. go to that right now. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So that's the big long story of Judge Isaac Parker. So I know it wasn't really spooky, but um, it just goes history. to show. We do history. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, he's, you know, okay. So he had a gallows built that would hang 12 men at the same <laughs> time. But good Lord, he had, he was like constantly yeah. sitting on the bench because there were so many awful people yeah 10 hours a day can you imagine that yeah Hearing and no break of murder and oh yeah. awfulness yeah mm -hmm. i'm surprised he didn't put more people maybe honestly. he didn't have time <laughs> oh, yeah i guess i guess yeah yeah so very nice very nice thanks i, I thought it. interesting mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah well, so um, I found it interesting too. And um, so when I was looking to do my little story, I did some digging and you actually mentioned 
the gentleman that I'm doing my story on. And honestly, you could write an entire big story on this man. But um, since I'm doing the little one, I'm just going to touch on the big stuff or we will be here for four hours. Well, maybe so, one day you can, we can, you know, revive yeah. your story as a big one or something. Yeah, maybe. So anyway, while I was um, trying to, like I said, trying to find something for Dawn's hanging judge story, I found a man named Bass Reeves and she talked wow. about him. Yeah. yeah. So he was the first black deputy U.S. Marshal west of the Mississippi. He worked mostly in Arkansas and Oklahoma Territory, and it is said that he compiled 3,000 arrests and killed 14 outlaws in alleged self-defense during his career. Now, um, because I was just doing the little one, all of this came from Wikipedia. I didn't go any further than that because they had a ton of information on him, and I got everything from there, so putting that out there well i want Um, you to do hey i want you to do a big story on him because this he's interesting i think oh he's very interesting um so he was born in 1838 as a slave in crawford county arkansas and he was owned by an arkansas state legislator named william Steele reeves when reeves moved to texas he was kept by the man's son colonel george reeves this Reeves was a sheriff and also legislator and one-time speaker of the Texas House of Representatives. During the Civil War, George Reeves joined the Confederate Army, taking Bass with him. Bass gained his freedom somewhere during this time, but that no one knows exactly how. One story claims that he and Reeves fought over a card game and Bass physically beat him and fled to Indian territory. So you had said uh. something about that's where outlaws would would flee to because they couldn't get caught there well or they that's thought what he yeah. did yeah right mm-hmm. so he while he was he so he went to indian territory and while he was there he stayed among, stayed among the natives and he learned their language until he was freed by the 13th amendment in 1865 So after he gained his freedom, he farmed with his family until 1875. And this is the time that Isaac Parker was appointed the federal judge for the Indian Territory. Mm -hmm. Shortly thereafter, James Fagan was appointed as a U.S. Marshal by Parker. Fagan sought Bass out because he could speak several of the native languages. He was made deputy for the Western District of Arkansas, serving until 1893. He then transferred to the Eastern District of Texas for a short time and then transferred to the Muskogee Federal Court in the Native Territory in 1897. He worked for 32 years and was one of Parker's most valued deputies. So I'm going to give you some just interesting facts, like little bullet points about his life. And it, I mean, just in, it takes like three quarters of a page in bullet points. That's how, how much stuff this gentleman did. Now, um, he was never wounded, though he did have his hat and belt shot off on separate occasions. He was once charged with the murder of a posse cook. He shot the man by my stake while he was cleaning his gun, but he was acquitted. He was married twice and he produced 11 children. Of these children, yeah, yeah, he had to arrest his own son, Benny Reeves, for the murder of Benny's wife. 
when Oklahoma became a state in 1907, he became a Muskogee policeman. He served two years before falling ill and dying him from, guess what? What do you think he died from? Bright's disease? Yep, in 1910. Do you know what it is? It's a, a kidney disease. Okay. I mean, that's not what it's called anymore. I just looked it up. It is not current. It's called nephritis, N-E-P-H-R-I-T-I-S, chronic, however you say, nephritis. N-E-P-H, okay, titus? R-I, no, there's not a T-I-T-I-S. It's just nephritis. So anyway, it's a kidney. Yeah, serious kidney disease. So... So he passed in 1910. So he's the great uncle of Paul L. Brady, who is the first black man appointed as a federal administrative law judge. And that was in 1972. He's the great, 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 no, his great, great, great grandson is NHL player Ryan Reeves. Um, Historian Art Burton believes that Reeves is the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. Did you know that? I did not know that. Oh. Burton huh. makes this, yeah, he makes this argument based on the sheer number of people Reeves arrested without taking any serious injury, coupled with the fact that many of these arrested were incarcerated in the Detroit House of Correction, and that's the same city where the Lone Ranger radio plays were broadcast on WXYZ. Um, so that that could be a whole story unto itself, I think, yeah. right there. Yes. Um, 2011 a bridge was named after him it runs between the muskogee it runs between muskogee and fort gibson oklahoma um 2013 he was inducted into the texas hall of fame he's been featured in several television shows our favorite drunk history he was in he was featured in drunk history and he was (laughs) portrayed by um jaleel white Okay. Uh, other shows he either was mentioned in or played a large part in were Gunslingers, How It's Made, Timeless, Winona Earp, Watchmen, Justified, and Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, several movies and miniseries included him in it. Um, Denzel Washington's character, Sam Chisholm, in The Magnific- Magnificent Seven is loosely based on Bass Reeves. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, and there is a stage play about him, and there's several books written about his life. So, like I said, so much more that can be discussed about him. But there's your big stuff, and that was uh, that's the life and times of Bass Reeves right there. Wow, uh, yeah, I really want you to do a big story on him. Yeah, yeah super, sometime. super interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I will. Uh, I'll post. They they had a picture of him and. Uh, I'll post the Wikipedia link, though you can anyone can look that up. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, super, super interesting. I thought. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, so. there you have it. I'm almost done with this very strong drink. You well, haven't I hit the floor yet. Well, because I, um, I was afraid if I drank it all and then had to talk last my words wouldn't make sense so i i waited i drank about half of it and now it's hot so i'm gonna have to throw some ice cubes in it because i I can't drink liquor hot i had to put an ice cube in it just to water it down a little bit i know it is awfully strong yeah Yeah. all right all right well thanks everybody i hope you guys enjoyed it enjoyed it 
enjoyed it is what I just said. It's late Friday night. I've had a really full week and maybe my words aren't working without the alcohol. It doesn't matter if I drink it or not. Okay, let's try it. Thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our little history lesson that we gave you today about uh, the hanging Judge Parker and his um, U.S. Marshal Deputy Bass Reeves. Remember to to leave us all the stars that you can when you subscribe to us. We're on Patreon. Go help a help the girls out go go look yeah because you you get presents you get presents if you help the girls out yeah we give you stuff and all our social what media don't forget once again we're on facebook and instagram um ozarks haints and hooch.weebly.com is our website Mm -hmm. um and that's it goodbye that's it goodbye and remember if you liked it Tell all your friends. And if you didn't, keep keep your your big big mouth mouth shut. shut.